रोशनी का करवा Hi, my name is George Abraham, and welcome to this episode of Iway Conversations. My guest today is uh, a good friend, Pranav Lal. Hi, Pranav. Welcome. Thanks, George. Glad to be here. I like to start with a, a bit of a tongue twister: retinopathy of prematurity. I hope I've got it right. And this was something that you had when you came into this world. Tell me a little bit about this, and how did this result in loss of sight? so retinopathy of prematurity and and we are glad that you know we are where we are now uh, several years ago it used to be called retrolental fibroplasia uh, which is a beast to spell i won't try to pronounce it either <laughs> no <laughs> yeah so essentially rop is a condition that usually inflicts infants who are born prematurely that's what happened to me Yes, and they stuck me in an incubator with a hundred percent oxygen. Right. Now, what that did was it caused abnormal growth of my blood vessels in the eye, which pulled the retina away from the optic nerve, leading to a lot of scar tissue, leading to blindness. So, but uh, when you get ROP, are you uh, always kind of totally blind, or there is no. uh, partial vision also? Now, depending on the stage of ROP, there is partial sight. Right. So, in your case, uh, it, it resulted in total vision loss. Is that right? Yeah. Except for light perception, uh, it it did result in total vision loss. Your parents, in your growing up years, were away in the Gulf. And how was your education in the early days? And how did it, how does it compare with what a blind child goes through in India? So, uh, in the early days. Uh, i was of course the odd one out i think i was the only blind child in my school of 6000 students eventually it was 6000 because we were the expatriate community and in that school everybody used to go to the same school they had similar teachers probably the same teachers um they were extremely supportive of education and there are three phases in education for me one is the braille phase so i used to get my books brailed from india my mom and i would come in the summers the books would get brailed they would fly back to the middle east uh i would have my textbooks which i would use i would make notes in braille i wasn't particularly good at it but it worked to a large extent Then I started using a cassette recorder when, when you know, I was using a slate and stylus. I was not particularly good at a braille. The reason for that is uh, the other thing. What your listeners probably should know is, I have a partially formed left palm. Right. So it resembles a hammer. Right. Much. I believe the condition is called a partial distal amelia, but don't quote me on that. Right. And. 
what happens with that is uh, typing is very tricky on a braille right so in any case i didn't use a braille match i used this clayton stylus then i got a cassette recorder uh, and i used to record all my lectures go home transcribe them into braille uh took an awful lot of time but yeah the upside was i was revising every day and then uh, at the end of eighth standard we got a computer yeah and there there was, after that there was no looking back so i still recorded my class notes and uh, came home and transcribed them onto the computer which made the referencing extremely fast and uh, i had my textbooks also instead of being transcribed into braille transcribed uh, they were transcribed digitally into electronic format right these days kids have it really nice because they get their textbooks in digital format at least in the school system yes and the good part is uh, progressive institutions of the blind have been pushing very heavily for digital inclusion you know whether it's nab whether it's uh, saksham whether it's I think even the bra now they're pushing very very heavily for digital inclusion yeah and <clears throat> that makes a massive difference i mean you you don't have that overhead of running your own disabilities office yes uh, which i had so my parents and i were our own disabilities office and we had to adapt quite a lot and my parents corresponded a lot earlier with institutions from abroad so for example the american printing house of the blind the rnib so we got a lot of geometry equipment and things uh the school of course helped in muscat indian school muscat they helped because a lot of these things were available uh institutionally only to institution individuals couldn't import them yeah so they got them for us and they used all of them that that's one thing i'm very happy about i used all of them so um moving on uh, pranav uh, you uh, are in the it space so what was the kind of education and skills that you developed before you entered the uh, it space okay it's a, you bring up a very interesting question because i did not specifically educate myself for being in it right what happened was i developed skills because since i enjoyed technology i started <clears throat> programming on my own i'm a self taught programmer yeah and uh, i've been writing code since maybe 9th class or 10th class and what happened there was so i developed the skills of exploration reading documentation you didn't have the internet so you know you would buy a computer language on floppy disks you yes. install it and they would give you examples yes so i learned through that and yes. what i used to do is i would break down the problem i was trying to solve into very small chunks write programs to solve those chunks and then stitch those programs like you assemble lego and that's what i still do i i write code like 
assembling Lego. Yeah. So, uh, I am academically, I have majored in commerce. I, you know, done what's called a BCom honors here. Yeah. And I've done a master's in business administration. But I am self-taught in IT, and uh, that has allowed me to get into cybersecurity. Yep. So uh, you've mentioned cybersecurity, and that's where you've been working for several years now. So um, specifically, what are the skills needed to be in cybersecurity? Uh, for uh, especially, and and, and uh, what is the kind of uh, tech support a, a person with vision impaired would impairment would need to to kind of uh, not only work in cyber cybersecurity but actually move up the ladder. Okay. So here's the thing. The field is maturing. So ideally, if you look at the job applications, you should have a computer science degree. It really depends on what you want to do, or you should probably do law and enter security from there because cybersecurity has both a technical and non-technical dimension. Yeah. Uh, the technical dimension is more about writing secure programs um, as well as securing infrastructure, configuring things like firewalls, uh, intelligent intrusion protection systems, and so on. There is, however, a huge element of governance, you know, establishing processes, governance, writing policies, actually doing cyber law. Yeah. And then... Uh, dealing with cybersecurity incidents from a legal perspective. So there's room for everyone. Yeah. And in terms of tech support, see, the, the, it's very hard to say because, for example, if you are writing programs, then you're simply programming. You're dealing with programming languages. But uh, if you're doing the kind of role I do these days, Suddenly, I found myself needing to create. I'm in consulting, and I found myself needing to create flowcharts. Yeah. For uh, a client presentation. Yeah. So there, the the biggest quality that's going to get you through any of that is curiosity and a willingness to explore. Yeah. As well as knowing that you're going to travel down a route where where you're probably almost totally on your own. Right. So, you know, I, I was telling you about this flowchart example. It's only very recently that Microsoft has made uh, an effort to make Microsoft Visio accessible to the blind. So what you can now do is write the different components of the flowchart in an Excel sheet and then import that into Visio. Yeah. But you have to ask those questions. You have to ask people. You have to keep pushing, and that's how you learn. Yeah. So, what are the tech support you they need? They need to know their computers. You have to know your tools. You can't yeah. get away from that. So know specifically, your... so specifically, what are the tools in this particular domain? Uh, there are no fixed tools. So it depends on what you're doing. So for example. If you are with a product company, you have to learn that product. You're configuring a web application firewall. You have to learn how to use that. You, um, if you are more in a managerial role, 
it's Microsoft Office that you have to know, and you have to know it really well. Right. So you can't get away with just typing. No, you have to know how to make pivot tables, how to conditionally format sheet, Excel sheets, that kind of thing. So know Microsoft Office backwards if yeah. you're a manager. If you're a programmer, of course, you know whatever is your programming environment. You can transition into cybersecurity from, let's say, a system administration role. So you have to know how to configure operating systems, so whether it's a Windows, a Linux server. So you have to know Linux administration pretty well, uh, or even Windows hardening. In both cases, there are certifications that will teach you quite a bit, but there is there are very few substitutes to experience. You can't learn security in a book you have to go through the trenches so uh, if somebody were to kind of get in at the entry level uh, what what do you think should be his uh, kind of qualification and aptitude look the aptitude you have to have an engineering mindset okay you have to break down a problem even if you're into governance or law you have to break down a problem if you want to go into governance and law, either get a job in cyber law, intern at a cyber law firm, or you should get into consulting because consulting, you do work with things like privacy, security, uh, you know, as an intern as well. So you can do that. For a more technical role, uh, you should know your operating systems really well, operating system configuration and settings. And if you want to build security solutions, then do a computer science degree. Because you're going to use that degree. You're going to use the math. You're going to use the efficiency calculations. Uh, if you're building a software for, let's say, estimating cyber risk, you're going to use a lot of statistics. So learn computer science, learn statistics, and learn how to write simple and performant code, you know, code that runs fast. So if you're good with C++, you better firm up that knowledge because if you're writing drivers and doing, you know, high, you know, device driver level stuff or mobile applications, even for example, you've got to know those low level languages. And if you use a higher level framework, you have to have strong knowledge about how it works, learn JavaScript, for example, because there are a lot of languages that are derivatives of JavaScript. Uh, and see, whichever platform you use to build a security solution has existing guidelines. So the other thing you've got to have in terms of aptitude is the reading habit. Learn to read and absorb information from documents. That's crucial. So uh, you as a person in the domain of cybersecurity, uh, what is the kind of uh, peak that you could achieve professionally in terms of your growth within a company or growth within the domain as a visually impaired person? I don't know since uh, I'm still growing. Usually, uh, if you're looking at a company, the highest role is a chief information security officer which means you're responsible for the security and protecting 
literally all the information assets of a company or a group of companies. That is the highest, you know, in a traditional corporate world. You want to go into consulting, then the highest probably, it really depends. You could be a partner in a consulting firm where you're, firm where you're bringing business. Or if you look at it, you could also be uh, an independent security professional, but then you have to be adding value to the industry. So someone like a Bruce Schneer, for example, or a Brian Krebs. Now, Brian Krebs is a very interesting story because he's actually a journalist and he's writing, doing his own research and writing breaking stories about cybersecurity. So you could even do that. There's there plenty of stories. And in fact, the Indian market is extremely underserved in the cybersecurity space. Yeah, let's just change tracks now. You, uh, Pranav, are an avid traveler and, a great, and, and into photography in a big way. Now, these are not two things which you normally associate with somebody who's got a vision impairment. So how did you get interested in photography? What's the kind of photography you do? And uh, tell us a little bit about your travels. Okay. So interestingly enough, uh, I, you know, I say I'm visually impaired, but that is only, you know, biologically I'm visually impaired. There is now a software which is freely available called The Voice, which translate translates live camera views to sound. This allows me and it can allow you to perceive shapes at a distance without touching. Now, what happened was when I started learning the software, I had to ask people, okay, this is what I'm sensing. I'm sensing these rising pitches and I'm you know, sensing these high objects in the frame. What are they? I had to ask people this question. Now, exchanging images over email is always tricky. So that's when I started to blog. And I realized that I was getting a lot of traction on the images I was capturing and asking questions about. And that's how photography started because for me, photography is a way of sharing what I am seeing. And I haven't met anybody who's organically excited who does this. In the sense that, yeah, you've got plenty of photographers who do it for the sake of photography but in my case I do it because if I see an intricate shape that looks beautiful to me then, then I want to capture it and the way I capture it in the photograph is the same way that I see it because I'm using an artificial eye so the voice runs off anything it can run off a mobile phone it doesn't matter whether it's iOS or Android I'll run off a PC it can run on a Mac anything and basically there are three rules of sound that you follow where the panning of the sound from left to right tells you where an object is in the horizontal plane the pitch of the sound represents height so the higher the pitch the higher an object in the camera frame and the volume of the sound represents brightness so the louder the sound the brighter the object 
this incidentally also maps to the electrical signals in the brain that are generated when you see. Uh, there is research to confirm this. And what happens is that the brain, when it gets these inputs from, uh, by listening to your, the sounds of the voice, it says, hey, this looks like vision. So let me use my visual neurons to actually process this input. Now I've traveled, traveled uh, quite a bit. I've been to Iceland. Uh, I have traveled um, to Sri Lanka most recently, uh, doing a lot of local travel after COVID. And even otherwise, uh, India is a place of breathtaking beauty and very intricate shapes that you can see. I'm primarily a landscape photographer and we are blessed to be in a country with such rich landscapes. Uh, getting to those landscapes is a bit of a challenge because it's usually quite a hike or a trek or you have a longish journey. But once you get there, it's well worth it. What exactly do you do with your photographs? Is it something that uh, you kind of uh, use these photographs in blogs or you participate in exhibitions? Or Meaning, what do you do with these pictures? Well, I put them up on my blog. I, I upload unedited vanilla versions as is to my blog. That's at techesoterica.com. Everything gets uploaded there. And that's all I do. I don't post-process them. I do nothing. I just put them up there. And of course, I ensure I label them so that in the event that there are other users of the voice and they would like to see, they would like to look at complex scenes, uh, they have a sort of a database in the form of my blog. What are some of the responses you've got to your pictures? Do people know that you uh, you are visually impaired, and, um, and 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 do they react to that, or do people who do not know your background still kind of uh, kind of react and give you positive feedback or critical feedback? I have got very positive feedback about the photographs. Um, you know. I don't make it a secret that I have used an artificial eye to frame the scene and to take pictures. That, that's really not a secret at all. I I, and, but what happens to people is they tend to sort of forget that. Especially sighted users. They'll just say, oh, show me the photographs. And they see the photographs and they're like, oh. And of course, some of them are blurred and sometimes things are not, they're framed at a different angle and so on. But I haven't sort of been slammed for that. That's all okay, not a problem. Uh, but sighted users sometimes gloss over the fact that I'm using an artificial eye. Uh, the people who really realize that are journalists. Uh, and they usually pick that up and then they land up asking me questions and so on. Uh, Pranav, uh, you uh, got married uh, a couple of years ago, a few years ago, I guess. Uh, I don't. Uh, it's what three years now? Yeah, Four years? three years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, how has uh, uh, how's the experience been, and has marriage actually changed the way you've been living your life? And what 
have you brought to the marriage and what your wife has brought to the marriage so my wife has brought a lot of dimensions and a lot of verb and vibrance to the marriage uh we are in in some ways complete opposites uh she is significantly more extroverted than i am in terms of getting energy from people uh, i am quite happy sitting behind my desk and making the occasional trip uh both of us are travelers uh we enjoy food as well so we explore a lot of restaurants restaurants we travel of significantly more than what i used to do uh scheduling is a lot of challenge uh and i have had to develop some laser focus because i am now consolidating what i do initially let's say if i used to do 20 things now to in ensure i spend time with her and all of that and we do a lot of things together uh i am becoming uh selective about what i do i still do what i want to do it's not that i don't uh but yeah the the filter about you know okay this looks like a good idea but can i get somewhere do i have the time or do i just prefer doing two or the five things uh i apply more of a filter these days but it's a lot of fun i think i i have bought the systems the technology and i guess a few other things you got to ask her what i brought to the marriage uh, i can tell you what she has got so great uh, pranav it was uh, great talking with you and um, uh, and it's good to good to know that uh, you've had 3 years of uh, wonderful uh, life as a couple uh, wish the two of you the very best and um, i'm sure the kind of life that you've lived over the past a uh, few decades as uh, as a student as a professional and as a person who's uh, enjoyed life through travel and uh, through through photography writing and so on you've had a fairly fulfilling life so wish you all the best and uh, looking forward to seeing you sometime soon uh, on another show thank you george look forward to it i wish ye hai roshni ka karwa